This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. We have the tendency to lead through the teaching and the preaching, and we think that'll work in a small church, but it doesn't work in a small church. It's more relational. Hi, I'm Carl Vaders, and welcome to the Church Lobby Podcast, Conversations on Faith and Ministry. My guest in this episode is Gary L. McIntosh. He's the president of the Church Growth Network, a professor at Talbot School of the Bible, Biola University, and a very prolific author. In this episode, we'll be talking about the principles in his just-released book, The Solo Pastor, Understanding and Overcoming the Challenges of Leading a Church Alone. This will be especially helpful for the vast majority of pastors who are the only pastor on staff at their church. In this episode, Dr. McIntosh and I will talk about five of the main streams running through his book, namely the relentlessness of being a solo pastor, how influence works in a solo pastor church, what expectations people have of the solo pastor, our connectedness to the congregation, and the great hopefulness of it all. And don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. I'll come back with an overview of the content and some practical takeaways. Well, welcome back, Dr. McIntosh. You are the first ever second time guest on this podcast. So uh, that shows you how, how important your work is and how much of a joy it is for me to be able to talk with you. Carl, thanks for having me back. It's always a joy to be with you. Thank you. You you have written a book that has just come out entitled The Solo Pastor, Understanding and Overcoming the Challenges of Leading a Church Alone. And um, when I, I was blessed to get an advanced copy um, on this, and when I saw the title, immediately I went, oh, that's a great idea, because we, of course, talk, uh, you know, in, in what I do a lot about small churches, but of course, the, the, you know, maybe 95 to 99% of small churches are solo pastor churches, but I never thought to approach it from the solo pastor point of view, looking at it in that, through, through that window. What what made you think about looking at it through that particular way? Years ago, I had a friend who uh, was taking flying lessons. And uh, we were talking one time because he had a, he had a funny experience. Uh, uh, after doing all of his training in books and manuals and taking tests, and then uh, he had, of course, to take uh, training actually uh, flying the airplane, but uh, in order to get his license, he had to fly that plane by himself, and uh, generally, that's called flying solo, right. and uh, um, I don't know, it just kind of hit me one day that, uh, wow, that's kind of what a pastor's doing, they're kind of flying solo, <laughs> you know, uh, particularly when you're younger and you come right out of school, and, you know, maybe you've had some associate or assistant uh, practice or something being a pastor, but uh, 
Finally, you get into that church where you're doing the preaching and guiding the leaders and managing the board or whatever. And uh, boy, you're really flying alone. You know, you're flying solo. (laughs) In the work I do with small churches, I have said several times, the people who have the hardest time getting used to the small church environment are people who have been on the staff at a larger church, have seen some success there, maybe built up a great youth group or a great music ministry and think, well, I'll do the same thing in a small church and build it up. But as I'm talking with you and reading through this, this whole solo pastor idea, I have taken into account the size differential, but I didn't until now take into account the going from a being on a staff to being a solo pastor differential. That's a real shift in the way you have to think about pastoring, isn't it? Well, it is. And, uh, you know, part of the book comes out of my own experience, uh, which is similar to what you're talking about. I wasn't in a real large church Uh, I was in a church that was probably just a little over 250. I was the second staff member. And, you know, we had two services. Uh, We had a great vacation Bible school. You know, we were doing teacher training every month of our Sunday school teachers back in those days and everything. And and all of a sudden, I had graduated from seminary, and so my very first church was this church of 29 people. And wow, you know, you know, (laughs) the differences in the size is one thing, as you mentioned, but the way the people thought, the way they perceived themselves, the way they emotionally dealt with things, you know, in the larger church, they tended to approach things with more, I would say, hope, excitement. They also were kind of proud of themselves in a good way. You know, I would say the self-esteem of the entire church was positive. I got to this uh, little church, man, their self-esteem was so low. Uh, They didn't think they could do anything that was good. They really had no vision of the future of that church at all. And, you know, I would talk to them about having a vision and they would just look at me with blank stares. You know, they they couldn't hardly think beyond maybe three or four months ahead. <laughs> you know, in the larger church, you know, we were thinking at least a couple of years ahead yeah. on, on ministry and maybe some new programs or something of that nature, outreach. And it was, it was just really a, a shock to my system. I had actually been in a couple of churches and I was in Christian education in those days and I'd had some minor successes, but I'll tell you, everything I did in this new church, they wouldn't buy into it. They wouldn't do it. You know, their attitude was kind of like, sure, pastor, if you want to do it, go ahead. But then what they didn't say was, we're not going to help you. <laughs> mm, interesting. Well, that, that is, it's fascinating because when you see a book with the title of the solo pastor immediately, and my perception was, well, this is going to help me or those who are solo pastors. And we have to think with a different mindset as a solo pastor. But as you're talking now, there's also a different mindset from the congregation members toward a solo pastor than they have toward a pastoral staff, isn't it? You get you get a different vibe from the congregation itself because of that, don't you? You sure do. Yeah, they uh, have different expectations of you. I think when you're on a, a larger staff, they know you're probably busy. They don't have as much expectation that you're there for them all the time. Uh, when you're the only pastor, they think you've got lots of time, you know, and yeah. uh, you're you're there to take care of them. So it's an entirely different uh, perspective. And you know, when looking back at seminary, I you know I had gone to Bible college. I had a Bachelor of Arts in Bible from college. I had a Master of Divinity from seminary. So in those uh, roughly seven years of education, 
no one had ever told me what smaller churches were like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, me too. I had honestly uh, always kind of been in a church that had uh, maybe two or three staff members. I mean, again, it wasn't a huge church, but I had really never been in a church that had a single pastor. And the seminary and Bible school, no one ever really talked about the challenges of being there and being the only pastor. So like you said earlier in the introduction, it was just a total shock. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. I thought, I want to help pastors who are alone uh, they may have a board, they may have some deacons or elders or trustees to help them, but they really don't have any other person who really understands what it's like to pastor and to go home at night and take the church with you, so to speak, in your mind yeah. and heart. Yeah, this is one of the reasons I'm so grateful for you uh, writing this book and tackling this subject, because uh, solo, like small churches, solo pastor churches are really the vast majority of churches always have been and are likely to always be. You know, I, I think in your book, you make a rough estimate of somewhere around two thirds of the churches in America are solo pastor churches. And you only define it from America because the stats outside of America are simply almost impossible and in some places impossible to get. So we get them from the places where the stats are available, which is really uh, mostly in the U.S. borders. And I would guess that that would mean that outside the U.S., that's probably even a higher percentage of solo pastors because the churches outside of America tend to be even smaller than ours are. So it is by far the vast majority and yet so little information about how to do it well. So let, let's get into it. I, what I want to do when I'm talking with you today is your book is organized in a way that is different from how I want to organize our conversation today. Instead of going through the main passages in your book, because people can read that for themselves and see how you organize it. As I went through it a couple times now, um, I found a handful of ma main streams that I think will be of particular interest to our listeners today. So let me outline it for everybody, and then we'll tackle them one at a time. We're going to take a look at the relationship relentlessness of being a solo pastor, that you're never off the clock, it's 24-7, how influence works differently in a solo pastor church, what expectations people have of the solo pastor differently than the staff pastors who've already hinted at, um, the connectedness of the solo pastor to the congregation, and the great hopefulness of it. So the first three are challenges, the last two are a little more hopeful. So relentlessness, influence, expectations, connectedness, and hopefulness is the outline I'd like to walk through today, and we'll be picking from various parts of the book as we go through it. First of all, and the, the relentlessness. I think this is probably the most obvious difference between the staff pastor and the solo pastor. If you're a staff pastor, even, some, even though some of us don't do this, we all can, if you've got a staff, We'll set it off for the staff for a while, walk away from it for a little bit because you have that opportunity. But it, when you're the solo pastor, you are never off. It is 24-7. We should and we all can take more breaks than we do, but it's much, much harder to do in the solo pastor church. So you've got people out there who are constantly exhausted. So we're told to take a break, but as solo pastors, it's almost impossible. So what would be some of your first advice to solo pastors about getting away from the relentlessness of it? I think that you have to set some boundaries. And by boundaries, I mean you've, you've got to take control of your own schedule. If in, a, in a solo pastor church, if you don't control your own schedule, there's other people in the church who will. You know, people just driving by the church building will see your car parked outside 
they'll mm-hmm. assume that uh, they can just come in, knock on your door, say, hey, pastor, can we go for coffee? And uh, being in a solo church, you'll probably say, sure. And uh, so you go off for coffee and maybe spend two or three hours in coffee and you get back and you still haven't finished your sermon or something <laughs> of that nature. You don't have a secretary or anybody to kind of guard your door and tell people, oh, the pastor's uh, studying for the sermon now, he can't talk to you. So it really falls to the solo pastor to self-manage themselves or a self-leader, you know, be their own leader, lead yourself first, is what I often say. And uh, so what I encourage uh, pastors to do is to make sure you, you use a calendar, set a schedule on that calendar, make sure you put in times of rest, times with your family, So for instance, um, I would tell a pastor, okay, if you're going to pick your daughter up from middle school at 3.30 on Thursday and take her out for ice cream, Mm -hmm. uh, block out an hour. And then if somebody catches you in the hallway at church and says, oh, pastor, I just got to meet with you Thursday afternoon, you say, sorry, I, I can't meet on Thursday. I got an appointment. You don't have to tell them it's with your own daughter. But if you don't do that, you will look at your calendar and you'll say, sure, I can meet with you Thursday. And then you face the fact that, oh, now I got to tell my daughter, oh, I promised I'll pick you up for ice cream, but now I can't, honey. You know, when I was a, a solo pastor, one of the things I always did was I blocked out Tuesday mornings and would go over to the public library just to get away. And no one knew I was there. But uh, my wife, and we had a part-time secretary at the church, and she knew. So in case of emergency, someone could get me. But other than that, I was away. You know, the people, if they dropped by the church, I just wasn't there. Uh, You know, you have to take control of that calendar. And then I would say second to that, you've got to communicate to your people that, hey, uh, I'm available to you, but Thursday mornings, Friday mornings, uh, try not to bother me. I use that time for preparing my message for Sunday. I really need that time. So you communicate that. And most people in most churches will honor that. You know, you control your your phone calls. You put a message on your phone and you actually tell them when you're going to call them back. You put a yeah. time. And then, and then follow through. Otherwise, but then- over time, you can train your people. I, yep. I think this is discipling your congregation. Uh, we, yeah. A lot of times when we, as pastors, we talk about discipling and we think about helping people know the Bible better, and that, that's certainly discipling. But um, I think we also disciple our people to honor and give us space, honor us our time and give us space to you know, be there for them yeah. so that we can get, get the work done and still have time available for the people. So anyway, in general, I think uh, that's a start at least. Get control of your calendar, communicate to your people as much as possible and ask for their cooperation. A lot of times they'll give it to you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think we need uh, pastors, especially solo pastors, and especially early in ministry, we need to learn early on to be very proactive about our schedules, guard our time. You actually have a very helpful segment in the book where you talk about dividing your week into 21 segments, three per day, and then to keeping track of how many of them you're working. And I'll, I'll let the the readers find that in the book when they read it for themselves, but it's a very practical way of breaking down the week and, and getting an idea of how much you're working and whether or not you're getting those times away. And I would add even to what you're saying, like when you, you're going to pick up your daughter, uh, m- make that an appointment. I think you need to do the same for prayer time, for study time, and for naps. 
a nap is an appointment. It's <laughs> that time of, re- of physical recovery is an appointment that needs to be kept for date night with your spouse. All of those things, those yeah. all ought to be on the calendar first. first. And you only change them in, in, in absolute emergencies. Otherwise, they are as important and in most cases more important than most of the interruptions you're going to get from church members during the week. So set them sure. there and set yeah. them down there hard. Yeah. So that's great. That, I think it's some really practical help of getting away from the relentlessness of the 24-7 solo pastor. Uh, as you intimated earlier, I think uh, we all know that pastors tend to move, uh, particularly solo pastors, probably every three or four or five years. And part of that is just, frankly, they're tired. You know, usually when a pastor leaves a church, about six months later, they're rested and they look back and say, wow, if I could have just had a long sabbatical or something, I would probably still be in that church. So I think you're absolutely right. A nap uh, is important and rest. That will go a long way to helping pastors stay in their churches and be more fruitful. Yeah, exactly. And and the, the sermon prep for so many years, I did the Saturday night scramble because I didn't schedule this, the, this, the sermon prep time in at, at a time when I was at my prime, when I was able to think more clearly in, in the morning hours when I've, I haven't had all of the stuff of the day wear me down. And now I do that. I schedule my sermon prep for prime uh, brain hours. And it takes me far less time to do. Some of it is because of experience, but a whole lot of it is because I'm doing it at times when I can think more clearly and I, I, I end up preaching better and I end up doing less sermon prep and less urgency. The stress goes down. The quality of the sermon goes up. Everything gets better when you schedule your time in advance. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's move from that to influence. Influence is very different in a solo pastor church than in a uh, multi-staff church. And you lay out a couple, I think, really helpful uh, ways that that's different in your book. Uh, you say larger churches expect the pastor to lead them from the stage. Solo pastor churches expect pastors to lead them from the floor. This is one of the reasons we renamed our podcast, The Church Lobby, because it's it's leading from the floor when you're in the church lobby. Talk to us about that difference and why that's so. Sure. Uh, as a church gets larger, the people expect to have a sense of direction, a sense of vision kind of communicated to them from the stage, so to speak. But in a smaller church, you still need to have vision. You still need to have that sense of direction. But a lot of times it's communicated more one-on-one as we're doing life together, as we're working together. So, for instance, as I mentioned, I, you know, in my very first solo pastor church, I was trying to preach about vision and set direction from the stage, uh, and it just wasn't working. But what I found was, like on a work day at church, I would be helping paint a room. So I was, you know, with a deacon, we're painting a room and we're having this conversation one-on-one. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, you know, I'm talking to him about the future direction of the church. And uh, what I was doing is I was casting vision. I was asking him questions, getting his feelings, but drawing him into my viewpoints too and helping him see what we needed to do about the future of the church. and But that was from the floor. I wasn't up on stage yeah. preaching. I was actually there working with them. Now, in a lot of solo churches, those lunches, those breakfasts, those uh, times of having ice cream with people in the church at their home 
traveling somewhere, maybe to uh, some event with a couple of your leaders, all of those, you know, strategically, we can use those to guide the conversation so that we're leading them. And that's what I mean. You're, you're elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder among the people. And that's one of those things, like you mentioned earlier, when you come from a larger church, we have the tendency to lead through the teaching and the preaching. Uh, and we think that'll work in a small church, but it doesn't work in a small church. Uh, it, it's more relational in a small church. Yeah. Now, in a, in a big church, you still have your coffees and your lunches and your one-on-one -on -one conversations. I'm not saying you don't, but in that solo church, really the influence is uh, more of a one-on-one -on -one relational type of influence. Now, you do also preach. It, it's both and, uh, but I think the smaller the church is, the more it's one-on-one, -on -one, the larger the church, perhaps it's more on the stage, you know? Yeah. I, 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 in my mind, I've got this picture of a continuum from, you know, 0% on one end to 100% on the other, uh, or, or on the left, you've got the pulpit influence, and on the right, you've got, uh, you know, church lobby influence, and in, and in the bigger the church is, the more the pendulum swings over to the pulpit influence, and the smaller and more solo pastor the church is, the more it swings over to the church lobby or from the floor influence. It, you, it, it, neither one ever goes away entirely. But the smaller the church is, and if you're a solo pastor, you may be a great preacher, but if you're neglecting the times from the floor in the church lobby, you will not get anywhere close to the results that you want to get. You've got to invest in people's relationships one-on-one -on -one much more often. That's right. I, I like to say, walk slowly through the lobby. Stop, talk to people, engage with them. That's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's influenced so many things about it, but the, the key to it is I think it's more about relationship and where your influence comes more from relationship than from the pulpit and the smaller the church is and the more solo pastor it is, that's where you need to invest your time. And now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a financial supporter through Patreon, Venmo, or PayPal. Just go to carlvaders.com slash support. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most. Our support link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Let's move from that then now to expectations. Basically, to really boil it down simply, uh, solo pastors are expected to do it all, and we're expected to do it all well, and nobody can do it all, and nobody can do it all well. So where does that leave us? Help! <laughs> well, I... 
I remember reading somewhere one time about a pastor who uh, gave a sermon and uh, afterwards he was complaining that he hadn't done a very good job. And one of his wise elders said to him, Pastor, the people in your church will probably forget your sermon in a week. So you just need to get up there and do the best you can. And when you're done, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> he says, because they'll forget it. Uh, honestly, you know, uh, if there's a place where the alligators are biting, you know, as, as the old saying goes, it's, it's hard to remember that your goal is to drain the swamp when the alligators are biting. In a solo pastor situation, there's just so much demand on uh, our time. I think we really have to realize I'm going to do the best I can. Uh, I'm going to give an honest amount of time to preparation and maybe practice, and I'm going to do the best I can, and that's all I can do, and I just have to trust the Lord to work through my weaknesses. I, You know, there is a scripture that talks about the Lord, you know, is powerful in our weaknesses, and I think we do the best we can, and we trust the Lord to bless that and to you know make it fruitful as much as possible and what we do is we again lead ourselves to organize and plan and structure our lives so that we can do a better job and even in a in a smaller solo church uh, we build a team we may not have a paid staff but i i think i mentioned in the book you know if you've got people who volunteer three hours or more a week they're really staff and yep. Uh, a lot of, in a solo church, there's a lot of people who volunteer three hours, five hours, eight hours, 10 hours a week, sometimes 15 or 20. Treat them like staff and have a staff meeting with them and, uh, you know, disciple them, train them, uh, delegate things to them. Uh, yeah. So I think we can do a lot ourselves to, you know, remove some of the extra expectations off of our desk and move on to other people's desk. Yeah, I, I caught that in the book. I, in fact, I caught how you phrased it. Uh, I think you said the average involved church member volunteer will volunteer approximately two to three hours a week on average. That's typical. That's right. And then you said, so if they're volunteering four to five hours a week, they are staff. You didn't say treat them as staff. You said they are staff. They are. That was the, and, and I, I think that's really helpful because at that point, once they're working 45 hours a week, they are, there may be unintended. <laughs> it certainly is unpaid. It may be unexpected, but at that point, that is, that is staff. And so at that point, let's do it with intentionality, which is right. how, how you walk it through with us, which I think is really, really helpful. So a lot of the time we think we got to look around and maybe find or create staff. A lot of solo pastors already have staff. Now we need to recognize them and treat them that way. And you can, and, and I think you can move the whole team forward better that way. Right. And so I, I think if, you know, if I was coaching a, a solo pastor, I'd say, okay, let, let's uh, put on a piece of paper here. Let's list all the people who volunteer in your church and, Let's estimate how much time each one of them gives. And then, uh, okay, you got nine people who are giving you four or five hours a week. Why don't you start meeting with them once a month yep. and uh, training them? And, you know, then take the things that maybe you're not so good at and see if some of them are good at it. So if you're not good at managing money, maybe one of them 
uh, is good at managing money and go to them and say, hey, would you take this off my desk? Would you start doing this? Yeah. But honestly, uh, a lot of solo pastors, they either don't know how to delegate or they're fearful of delegating. Uh, yes. Yeah. Because they think, oh, if I give it away, uh, they won't do as good a job or maybe they'll fall through with it. And and they might. But if you don't try and give it away, it'll always be on your desk. So you just got to start. Yeah. The point that I always like to make with pastors too is quite often we jump to delegating and we miss a step. The step between doing it yourself and delegating it to others is what we're actually called to do, which is equipping the saints. Don't delegate to them unless you're all, you have already equipped them or you're equipping them as you delegate to them. Without the equipping piece, delegating will disappoint you. They will, they will not do it well. They will get frustrated. You will get frustrated with them and then you'll take it all back. But the delegating is the second step. The first step is the biblical step of discipleship. Then when they're ready, then you can delegate, then everybody's a little happier. Well, actually, one of the, the, the challenges that you point out in your book to getting to that point of delegating is that too many um, pastors cooperate with the game that you call pastor fetch. So what is pastor fetch and how do we grow past it? I got that idea from another book, by the way, um, a fellow was talking about that and boy, it just really resonated with me. You know, when you have a dog, for instance, you go out in the yard and you throw a ball and the and you say, fetch, you know, go get the ball. And so the dog runs over and gets the ball, brings it back to you. And you reach down, you pet the dog on the head and take the ball away and say, good boy, good boy. <laughs> <laughs> or good girl. Good girl. I, right, right now, a whole bunch of pastors have already jumped to the next step ahead of you because they're feeling no. like a, they're feeling <laughs> that already. But continue. <laughs> so in a lot of solo churches, uh, people who have been there for a long time, they've got used to this kind of game where, you know, they call the pastor and say, hey, pastor, would you, uh, I can't get by the post office today to pick up the mail. Would you pick up the mail? And so the solo pastor wanting to to show their humility and willingness to, you know, serve, uh, they say, sure, I'll go by the post office. Well, the people get used to that. Pastor do this, pastor do that. And, and of course, if you do it, then the people kind of scratch you behind the ears and say, good boy, good boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and no, absolutely. When you I, come in as a solo pastor to a church where the previous pastor has done that a lot, the people will expect you to do that too. And oh, um, yeah. so they call and say, hey, pastor, will you uh, uh, pick up the mail at the post office? And you say, no, you know, I can't do that today. I don't really have much time. Uh, so just pick it up tomorrow or something. They'll they'll sometimes be upset. Yeah. And then the opposite of good boy is yeah, bad, bad boy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it all goes back to the whole drawing of boundaries, right? But I, I just know out there right now, there are listeners going, they've got stories of pastor fetch. We ought to maybe start a comment section or something just to start hearing pastor fetch stories. So uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. let, yeah, yeah. let people comment on uh you know, stories of Pastor Fetch. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's a whole lot in that. Um, before we leave this expectations uh, subheading here, you, you say in the book, a church is the most complex organization to lead. And the reason you say it is, is because they are goal conflicted. So what what is it to, to be goal conflicted? And how do we deal with that in the church and the solo pastor church? 
Well, we could approach that from another, a number of different angles. You know, uh, one of the goals of the church is to reach out and win new people faith in Christ and bring them into the church. But on the other side, there's the goal of uh, helping our own people to grow in their own personal growth and uh, spiritual walk and their unity together. So there's a little bit of a conflict there. We, we want to build the unity of our church. And one way to do that is to get closer to each other. On the other hand, uh, we want to reach out and reach new people. But if we do that, then it means we can't spend as much time with the people in the church because we're going to have to delegate or not delegate, but we're going to have to give some of our emotional energy to the new people. And so that that's an example of a goal uh, confliction. And in order to release that tension, what most solo pastor churches do is they turn inward and focus, you know, almost always on themselves. Uh, and which is one reason why they always stay smaller as churches, because they have trouble reaching out to new people. Here's another example. Solo pastor church, a lot of times the leaders will say, oh, we need new leaders. We need new volunteers. But then uh, a new person comes to the church and they won't let them lead. <laughs> they won't let yeah, them, yeah. you know? And so on the one side, they're complaining because they don't have new volunteers. On the other side, they won't accept them when they come. Yeah. Uh, and so in the smaller church, there's a lot of these areas where there's this goal conflict, of a desire for fruitfulness, a desire for closeness in the church and they tend to have a difficult time kind of bringing a release to that tension that's there. Yeah, that's actually a great segue to the next segment, which is about uh, connectedness, because you have chapter two, you talk about that this, uh, this dichotomy, this challenge of, do I minister to the people that are in the church already? Do I reach out to the people who aren't in the church yet? And you actually talk about how the connectedness of the solo pastor church can be turned into a strength in reaching other people. I think uh, what I've got here is since the people already in the church value love, care, and acceptance, it's necessary to turn those values toward people outside the church. Preaching and sharing the gospel become effective when wrapped in those values. So the idea of turning what appears at first to be a conflict into one that strengthens the other is really important. So help us with a little bit, because now we're turning, we've gone through some of the challenges. Now let's now turn to some of the, the joys and the, and the blessings of the solo pastor church, because there are many. And one of them is that connectedness, is that relational ability, and then turning that relational strength to outsiders to bring them in is, I think, one of the most appealing things about the smaller and solo pastor church. But how, in a practical way, do we start doing that? Historically, uh, the research on how people come to faith in Christ for, oh, I'd say the last 70 some years, uh, consistently shows that people primarily come to faith in Christ and even come to a church through relationships. So it's not evangelistic campaigns, it's not knocking on doors in the neighborhood, it's not direct mail advertising, all of that can be good in its right place. Uh, but most people, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80, 90 percent of people typically come to Christ and come to a church through relationships. So if the strength of the solo church is the high relational value of the church, 
what we want to do as a leader is we want to, first of all, uh, affirm our people for their love and their close relationships and highlight that as a value. Uh, but then in time, we want to uh, say to them in one way or another, do you think that God might want us to share this love we have for each other with, with other people? And of course, uh, most Christians would say, well, sure. Uh, he, he wants us to share our love with other people. So you'd guide them then to start first with their uh, the safest people they have to talk to. That's their family. And guide them to build relationships with their family and to appropriately talk about spiritual things, appropriately bring them to church events. And then you would transition from family to friends and people they work with. And, and this might take two or three years, but you gradually, by asking questions, by preaching, I remember one pastor did a series, uh, I think it was a six-part series on uh, making a friend for Jesus or, or making friends for Jesus, I think it was, making friends for Jesus. His whole approach was, you know, we've got a loving fellowship of people here, and we need to make some new friends for Jesus and share our love with other people. So what you do is you look for the strengths in those relationships. But if you if you leave the relationships just inward focus, it becomes selfish. And uh, just like for an individual, selfishness is not good. It's not good in a church either. So we have to gradually, through questions, through sermons, through conversation, through programming, yes, we have to begin to move our people towards an outward focus of that love. You know, I wouldn't just jump into a solo church and say, hey, we need to evangelize our neighbors. Well, we do, <laughs> but right. I, I think I would approach it more from, hey, we've got a great fellowship here, don't we? And we're loving group of people. Do you think God might want us to share that love with others? I think so, yep. don't you? How could we start? You know? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Take take the energy that's already there and just help them redirect it. Yeah. Right. And so you might focus like today, a lot of churches that uh, call themselves missional churches, you know, they they focus maybe a lot of attention, say, on an elementary school and and caring for the teachers and things like that. Well, that would be a way, you know, you could say, well, let's let's pick one project, one thing that we could do. Could we take some of the love that we have for each other and could we love on the teachers uh, in this elementary school, you know, who are overworked and tired and under-resourced and could we help them? Uh, that would be a way, you know, to kind of just turn what's positive in the church to a, a positive outreach focus. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about that with, you know, you use the elementary teachers as an example. I have discovered this in recent years. A general call to evangelism is not going to be nearly as successful. You're going to get single digit success if that. But if you target it towards someone like that, why do we care for our teachers? Well, because our kids, our grandkids go to those schools. And some of them are our next door neighbors. And there's a, a, a process through which we can understand it when we narrow the field. And I, I don't want people to immediately go, well, what about all the other people who aren't teachers? You're not going to be able to reach everybody anyway. And the body of Christ has other churches and other people that Christ will lead to those other folks. Uh, pick the ones that you have maybe a, some bridge with already. 
and exploit that bridge and and that opportunity of relationship. But I, I do think that that kind of targeted thing tends to be much more successful because we have a better way of narrowing the energies of the church into a place that can really have some, some greater impact. So I, I love that. Let's move to number five, which is hopefulness. We're gaining hopefulness as we're going along. So let's end with hopefulness. You talk near the end of the book about the importance of a pastor having an LPOV, which stands for a leadership point of view. What is that? Why is it important? And how do we establish that in the solo pastor church? Leadership point of view is really just the pastor sitting down and thinking through how he, or in some cases, she perceives their role in the church. In in a solo pastor church, instead of just getting in there and doing the work of ministry and uh, letting people kind of push their expectations on you, I think it's good to sit down, look at the scripture, you know, run that through your own perspectives and say, okay, here's my leadership point of view. Here's how I perceive that pastoring as a solo pastor should look like. And actually, if possible, write that out, put it on paper. And that becomes then your point of view of how you're going to focus yourself, organize yourself, relate to the people in the church. As many pastors, they have a leadership point of view that says that the pastor should train people to do the work of ministry. So the the people are doing the work of ministry. Okay, if that's your leadership point of view, then write that down. Uh, Start training your leaders, your board members, whoever in your church you have as leaders, start sharing that with them, that uh, from your perspective, the scripture teaches that you do the the teaching, the training, and then uh, that they take care uh, of the ministry. And so you communicate that, and then you start practicing that. Uh, For instance, um, going back to the pastor fish thing, I had a deacon one time. I can remember this as though it was yesterday. We're standing outside the church, and uh, this was up in Oregon, and the uh, the grass hadn't been cut around the church for three weeks. And this this deacon looked at me and he says, "Well, Pastor, when are you going to mow the lawn?" And uh, I uh, I was kind of surprised because I'd come from a little bit larger church, and the pastor never mowed the lawn there. Uh, But the Holy Spirit gave me a good question, and it's a good question for pastors to keep in their arsenal. And I just looked at him and I said, well, is that what you called me to do? Mm -hmm. He he had never thought through what the pastor was to do. He just knew that pastors in the past had always mowed the lawn, so he was expecting me to mow the lawn. But I asked him the question, is that what you called me to do? Well, my my leadership point of view was that uh, the pastor is not called to mow the lawn uh, around the church. Now, I'm not above mowing the lawn and, and working like that, but he had to be guided to think through what is the pastor's job? What is the pastor's role? Well, to start, you've got to have your own leadership point of view. And if yeah. your leadership point of view is that that's not your role, uh, then you've got to be able to communicate that, share that, and then say to them, okay, now we, we, you know, we have to mow the lawn. <laughs> so how are we going to do this? You know, and, and then you have to kind of come to a, a conclusion 
with your leaders as to how you're going to take care of that particular issue. But, you know, I had a particular leadership point of view that allowed me to, to kind of guide that conversation a bit. Other pastors before me had just said, okay, I'll mow it, you right. know, and, and they did. And, yeah. but in doing that, it took them away from what they probably should have been doing, which was preparing their sermon or uh, spending maybe some time uh, leading a Bible study or, you know, something uh, yeah. in the church, you know. And, uh, well, and, and the thing is, of course, we all have a leadership point of view, but yes, I would say for the, for the vast majority of us, it's, it's subconscious. And until we make it conscious, we can't uh, be proactive in pursuing it. That's right. And uh, I think I mentioned this in the book, uh, too. Uh, once you've written something down, and I, I think it should be like one page or two pages, I would then sit down and uh, with my, uh, my church board and say, I want to just share with you what my point of view here is, is mm -hmm. what the pastor's job is. Or maybe you, before you do that, maybe you could, you know, kind of quiz the leaders what do you think the pastor's job is? Yeah. And, uh, you know, let them express that. And then when you're done, say, that's very interesting. Let me share with you what I, what I wrote. Yeah. Well, at least it gets you in the conversation. Uh, exactly. You, you can talk about expectations and what your expectations are, what their expectations are, what, what would be a good meeting of the mind, so to speak, uh, in that particular church situation. Yeah, making the unspoken spoken, making the subconscious conscious uh, is, is such a huge step because otherwise we think we're speaking the same language. We may even be using exactly the same words, but have completely different definitions for those terms. And until you say those things out loud, you don't know you're speaking different languages. Right. Right. So and that really clarifies. Yeah. Just to wrap up and just for our listeners to know, we won't be doing a lightning round this time. It'll be our first time we haven't because we've already had Dr. McIntosh on and he's already answered those questions before. So instead of that, let me um, finish with this one last question right, right near the end of the book. You say something that I think is really, really hopeful for solo uh, pastors. You talk about the stats that we are constantly hearing about the reports of pastors quitting and leaving ministry. And what you tell us, and this is borne out from the stats that I've seen as well, that the reports of pastors quitting ministry are bad, but as you say correctly, they are in fact overstated, and the turnover among pastors is about the same as it is for other stressful jobs. So it is not a higher rate of, of overturn. Uh, first, My first response to that is, yes, I agree that's accurate. Two, yes, it's good that our stress is not higher than other stressful jobs. My pullback on that is here we are comparing pastoring and saying, well, we're not as bad as other stressful jobs, but shouldn't we be at least partially in the stress relieving business <laughs> to say we're no more stressful than other stressful jobs feels like we're still missing something because it should be the other side of that. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. It shouldn't be, well, it's no more stressful than any other burden. Right. So that's part of the challenge. And part of what I love about what you do in this book is you help to define some of where those stressors come from, from not having boundaries and 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 pay, playing pastor fetch and those kinds of things. So what would you say as a kind of a final thought to our solo pastors who are listening? How do we start making that shift so that we're not just another stressful job, but we, in fact, are swinging the pendulum to the other side of that where where we can bring relief from the stress to others because we're allowing the Lord to de-stress us. 
That's a that's a tough question, uh, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I I've reserved it for the end, and I'm asking one of the smartest people I know. So I'm figuring you've got all the answers for me. <laughs> well, I don't have all the answers, but one of my favorite laws is called the law of the whale. And the law of the whale says, whenever you rise to the surface and blow, you get harpooned. Yeah. That's that's a leadership principle. By becoming a pastor in a church, we are putting ourselves into a, a leadership position. Those people in leadership, in all fields of leadership, are visible. They're perceived to be strong. Therefore, people feel like they can criticize they can uh, say things that they might not say to other people. You know, they can place demands on us. So being a leader as a pastor or in any field just brings with it a natural level of stress. And we just need to expect that. I think some of the things I suggest in the book will help relieve that stress. But I think ultimately we have to have a confidence in the Lord that he's called us there. Whatever we need to do, he has gifted us to do, and he's given us the time to do it. You know, none of us have any more time than anybody else. So whatever God wants us to do in that local church, he's given us the gifts. He's given us the time to do it. And it falls to us to set the priorities, control those calendars, control the church bullies and playing fetch and that sort of thing. And I think as we do that, it will help relieve some of the stress on our, our lives, but ultimately yeah. there will be stress. Um, yeah. There's no way to get rid of it entirely. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I think maybe as you're saying that, what kind of occurred to me was we may be solo pastors, but even the solo pastor is never leading alone because the Lord is with us. Absolutely. And uh, don't, Absolutely. don't take all that burden on your shoulders because Jesus shoulders are bigger. <laughs> And a whole lot of it, we just need to learn to entrust to him, I think. Right. And, uh, you know, your whole ministry and uh, this podcast and everything, you know, kind of grew out of that, you know, the expectations that solo pastors had, uh, partly from the, the church growth movement or whatever in the past, a lot of them, they took that stress on themselves. Uh, Yeah. That if no one forced solo pastors to feel inadequate, they just did. And I know it's a struggle. I mean, I, I was a solo pastor too, and 10 blocks away from me was a, a growing mega church, and, and I had 125. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. but, you know, I had to focus on my church where God had called me and trust the Lord that that's where He wanted me at that particular time. And, you know, do the best job I can there and um, learn and grow and develop and, Uh, develop my people to the best of my ability at that particular time and and just trust in him that that was it Uh, i guess you would say it's it's rest in him you know you rest in the what some uh, years ago there was a pastor that always talked about what he called the faith rest life the faith rest life you know you you have faith in god that uh, you are where you need to be for this time and you're going to rest in that and That's we great. Rest, we rest in the wonderful, world. wonderful. What, what, what a great word to close with. Again, the new book just came out, The Solo Pastor, Understanding and Overcoming the Challenges of Leading a Church Alone. 
Um, it, it's a great place to start for those of you who are solo pastors, and as so many of us are, uh, this is the only book that I'm aware of that addresses that aspect of the small church pastoring, the solo part of it. So many practical helps in that, and so much, uh, su such a, a great heart for pastors that you have always expressed and continue to express, and we heard from your heart today. Thank you, Dr. McIntosh, so much for being with us today. Thank you, Carl, and blessings on your ministry uh, now and into the future, my man. Thanks. I love Dr. McIntosh's heart, his heart for the church, his heart for pastors, and especially his heart for those of us who have spent a lot of time as solo pastors being the only pastor in a congregation. So what are some key takeaways? Here's what I got. I've got six key takeaways that really registered with me. First of all, that church members deal with solo pastors differently than they deal with pastors on a staff. We're expected to do it all. We're expected to do it all well. And nobody can do all of the aspects of what a church needs. We're simply not designed that way. And so we have to shift expectations, first of all, within our own hearts and minds. And then we have to educate our congregations to have more accurate and more reasonable expectations as well. That's my first takeaway. Second takeaway, we have to create and set boundaries and stick to them. And those boundaries have to start with our time. Uh, he has some very practical steps in the book about how to actually schedule your week, how to track the way you're using your time, and how to use it better. Schedule the important parts of your personal life, like sermon prep, like time with your spouse, time with your kids, rest, vacation days. Schedule them and be as rigorous about keeping them as you would any other appointments. Set those boundaries and stick with it. Takeaway number three from me, we lead more from the floor than from the pulpit. Again, as I mentioned to uh, Dr. McIntosh, it's one of the reasons we changed the name of this podcast to the church lobby. That church lobby, the floor where we're walking among our people is where the primary amount of leadership takes place in a small church and particularly in a solo pastor church. We lead more through relationships than through vision statements or position. Fourth takeaway for me was refuse to play pastor fetch, right? The expectations in so many past, solo pastor churches, well, the previous pastor did it that way, or I want you to go and run and get this for me. And we're running around doing all of this, and then we get a little tap on the, on the head with a, little, with a little good boy. And we are not called to get that kind of approval from congregation members. We're called to serve the Lord first and then to equip the saints. And we cannot equip people that we're going and fetching things for. So we have to draw boundaries. And part of the drawing of boundaries means refusing to play pastor fetch. Fifth takeaway for me, second to the last one is this. You have an LPOV, a leadership point of view. We all have one. But most of us couldn't define it. We're not clear about it. And unless you are clear about your leadership point of view, you can't function properly within it. So we need to know it. We need to define it. We need to verbalize it. We need to teach it to others so that they can honor it as well. And then we need to stick to it. The leadership point of view is so important. And then the final takeaway for me was, even as a solo pastor, you're not leading alone. You may be the only pastor but you're not the only leader. In fact, you are not the leader of the church. Christ is the leader of his church. You are an under shepherd and his shoulders are bigger than yours. This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver. It was edited by Phil Vaders. 
Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The graphic design is by Solomon Joy. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I hope to talk with you again in the church lobby. Music